Good afternoon, fellow directors, past presidents, members, and guests. Welcome to the 117th season of the Empire Club of Canada. My name is Antoinette Timilo. I'm president of the Empire Club and of Canada and your host for today's virtual event, the impact of the pandemic on women's advancement during recovery, overcoming setbacks and promoting change for the better, featuring Andrea Carter, Candice Kopicha, Elizabeth Namakowski, Dr. Samantha Wells, and moderated by Levine Salmon. I now call this meeting to order. Before we begin today, I have a few logistical items to let you know of. If you're finding your internet feed is slow, please see below and click the switch streams button. There's also a request for help button available to you if you are experiencing technical difficulties. I wanna take a moment to thank our sponsors who make these events possible. Thank you to our event sponsor today, Canadian Securities Exchange TV. I also want to thank our season sponsors, Canadian Bankers Association and Waste Connections Canada. And last but not least, thank you to our event partner, BBC Productions and LiveMeeting.ca for webcasting today's event. Now, before we get into today's panel discussion, we at the Empire Club are like everyone else experimenting with various new approaches to optimize your experience of our newly minted virtual platform. We thought we would start today our session by introducing a new feature we are calling Voices of Tomorrow, where we will from time to time pass over our podium for a couple of minutes to someone just starting out in his or her professional life and let them tell us how they see this brave new world of ours. Today, we are delighted to introduce to you a young man who came to Canada only a few years ago from Haiti and who just a few weeks ago has been called to the bar in Ontario. He has a remarkable story to tell and we can assure you that he is set to make a very positive contribution to both his profession and his new country. Ladies and gentlemen, Please meet Christian Petitfrère. Thank you, Madam President, and thank you to the team at the Empire Club of Canada and the panelists for uh, giving me this opportunity to address the club. As we continue to talk about the impact of the pandemic on our lives, both personal and collective, and find ways to overcome the challenges that we face, mm -hmm. allow me to share my personal story with you. It's a story of hope in the face of adversity. I was living in my home country in the Caribbean when a deadly earthquake hit, killing more than 300,000 people. Among the dead were my mom, my dad, and my older sister. In just a few seconds, my life had been turned upside down. I was devastated. With no real time to grieve, I quickly had to start thinking like an adult at the age of 18, not only for myself, but also for my three younger siblings. I was in a country that did not have martial fit to young people 
in the best of times, let alone after a major catastrophe, just as the one I experienced. Luckily, I have an uncle who, with a heart of gold who lives here in Canada. He decided to, to sponsor my three siblings and I. We arrived in Canada one year after the earthquake. Coming from a di totally different world, the move to Canada had its challenges, but I was determined to make the move a success. I was happy to be in a new environment. I was eager to start a new life with a clean slate. I was excited to be in a country where the possibilities are immense. A country where I knew if I worked hard, I could achieve my dreams. I was very fortunate to cross paths with some great Canadians. They served as my mentors. Those individuals' guidance allowed me to dream big. And they showed me that for their opportunities, nothing is impossible. I chose education. I quickly learned English. I went to university. I then attended law school. I recently became a lawyer, as you just heard. I'm sure the pandemic will impact my career in different ways, but I'm optimistic. I know there will be new possibilities. I think the message you should take from my story is to be positive and to embrace change. Our resourceful mindset will carry us in these challenging times, just as it carried me in my most difficult times. Thank you, have a great day. What a heartwarming and amazing story, Christian. I'm overwhelmed. I have to tell you, it's the second time I heard your story. Unbelievable story, and thank you for sharing it with all of us. We're really looking forward to following you as you begin your new career, which we know will be filled with success and accomplishments. And now for today's topic. Earlier this summer, we brought together five ladies to talk about COVID and Canadian women, mental health, money, and societal shifts. If you missed their presentation, you will want to go back and watch it on our website as people literally raved about how excellent it was. I must say on a personal level that I've rarely in my career seen five very different women so perfectly gelled to create what people started to call a super panel. Judging by the number of questions that the hundreds of people who tuned in were asking, we knew that we had opened up some interesting new areas in our national discussions around the pandemic and quickly determined that we needed to bring this elite group back together again as we all face the daunting possibility of a large new wave of the pandemic with the accompanying lockdown. We have all become very aware of how women have borne the brunt of COVID-19 in their workplace and at home. The situation is even more difficult for racialized women who often must face a whole host of extremely difficult realities which aggravate the impact of the virus on every aspect of their lives. 
And it has also become very clear to policymakers that these issues do not stay neatly parked within the female demographic, but in fact have an enormous spiraling effect on all of the men and children who rely on these women in the workplace and at home. These are enormous economic and so there are enormous economic and social outcomes that must be dealt with holistically and by all of society, or we will face very serious consequences long after this pandemic has left us, assuming, of course, that it does not become a permanent new reality we must cope with going forward. Whatever this course, this terrible virus takes, it is now obvious to all that women and the multitude of roles they play in our society must be a central component in the discussions we have and the policy we create in building the new world. And now, let me briefly introduce you once again to our super panel, Andrea Carter, CEO of Wealthy Women Warrior in Building Better Organizations, Neuroscience-Based Diversity and Inclusion Learning and Development Consultant. She brings over 18 years of research and practical application to her training, public speaking, and proven methods that support leaders and their teams. Candice Kochapa, founder and exec, executive director of Developing Young Leaders of Today, of Tomorrow Today, received the Top 25 Women of Influence in Canada Award by Women of Influence Global, Top 100 Accomplished Black Canadian Women by co-authors Honorable Dr. Jean Augustine, Dr. Denise O'Neill Green, and Donna Jones-Simmons, and Top 21 Founders to Watch Future of Good in 2020. Elizabeth Namakowski, Vice President, Marketing, Caldwell Securities Limited. She's a financial literacy advocate and a champion for women's issues. She's a creator and host of Finances Personal, Wealth Professional 2020 Award finalist for the McKinsey Investments Award for Female Trailblazer of the Year, and the inaugural recipient of the 2019 Wealth Professional IFSE Institute Award of the Financial Literacy Championship, Champion. Dr. Samuel Wells, Senior Director and Senior Scientist, Institute for Mental Health Policy Research at CAMH and Associate Professor, Clinical Public Health Division at the Dalla Lana School of Public Health, University of Toronto. She holds the positions of adjunct associate professor in the Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at Western University. She's an adjunct associate professor in the School of Psychology at Deakin University in Australia. This panel will be moderated by Vaveen Salmon, past president of the Canadian Bar Association. She's the first visible minority and first female corporate counsel in the over 100 year history of the organization to hold the position. She's vice president, country compliance manager, global, global banking and markets compliance at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. She's a certified information privacy professional and holds the designation of CIPP slash C from the International Association of Privacy Professionals. Now, I just wanted to remind everyone on this call that this is an interactive event. 
And we encourage you to take advantage of the question box to the right of your screen and let us know what is on your mind and if you have any questions for the panelists. Naveen, over to you. Thank you, Antoinette. It's a pleasure to moderate this morning. So we're going to begin, I think, um, speaking with Andrea Carter. And when we're thinking about these issues, they're impacting social justice, and there's a lot of impact on, of the pandemic on women's advancement. Andrea, Corporate Canada is being asked to revisit how they're approaching equity, diversity, and inclusion. Canadian stakeholders, stakeholders expect moral behavior by the leaders, but are we seeing this when we think about these issues? Yeah, so what a great question to start with. Um, first, it's really important to say that the pandemic has significantly changed the way corporate Canada and stakeholders are looking at ADI, um, so equity, diversity, and inclusion, as well as corporate social responsibility. And, you know, as a master's candidate in industrial organizational psychology with a specialty in data and social justice, what I'm, the work that I'm consulting with now is very different than the work that I was doing even a year ago based on what corporations are asking for. And so what we're seeing um, truly as we're moving forward, and it was so, you know, perfect that Christiane started us off with such optimism and, um, you know, a, a reframing of remaining positive and embracing change. Because today, it's not as simple as running a women's initiative or running an equity, diversity, and inclusion program. And it's also not as simple to just hire more women or get more women back in the workforce because the, pande the pandemic truly has stirred up uh, many complexities and social justice in a way that truly is here to stay. And as the U.S. elections near and polarization amps up, we're going to need to look more and more at these solutions and the concepts that are often outside the typical business case realm that organizational structure has used in the past. So when leadership teams um, come to the table and they understand that right now is the time for us to start implementing uh, different strategies, the numbers are really fascinating. They're uplifting me. I, I am so excited about what I'm seeing in the organizations that I'm working with. Because by fixing women's unemployment and supporting corporate culture, this ends up adding $13 trillion to our global GDP by 2030. The organizations that are already doing the work are seeing that there's a windfall of positives and you know, as I mentioned, I am excited about how fast stakeholders are responding and are motivated by these changes. But the flip side of not taking action and adopting the belief that, well, you know, social justice has been raised in the past and it's just a phase. What that's going to do is it's going to lower our global GDP growth um, by to just one trillion. Um, in 2030 than it, what it would be if women's unemployment simply tracked the men in each sector. So we really need to think about how we're looking at equity, diversity, and inclusion, as well as it, how it intersects with uh, corporate social justice. And we're really evolving into an intersection um, 
of moving from corporate social responsibility into more of that corporate social justice element. And this is because Canadian stakeholders are being forced to reconsider what ju justice actually is and how women and diversity fits into it. Now, what's really interesting is that we don't have to be as high level complex that it prevents us from taking action. And to that point today, I really want to highlight the solutions because the companies that I have been working with understand that what they are doing before the pandemic, that is no longer applicable. Um, but the data supports that and they're moving towards really great um, elements that are working within corporate strategy. So I should mention that there is a handout in the references section from today, and there is, um, you can download it called Five Solutions to Transform Corporate Social Responsibility into Actions Stakeholders Believe and Respond po Positively to. So make sure to download that because it has way more information, <clears throat> excuse me, than what I can cover today. But there are top, there are three top areas that when leaders implement um, and adopt these elements and model them. So that's the synchronization between saying and doing. The, the result has been that there is a credible, substantial stakeholder buy-in. And what we're seeing is a less amount of turnover. Um, we're seeing more engagement and we're seeing women that are otherwise unable to stay in their role stay in their role. So that, that's exciting. And the three top elements are creating psychological safety, repairing trust, and fostering a culture of belonging. So when we have those three elements, the reason those are working is because it has to do with the perception of justice acting as a proxy for trust. And most leaders start with the bias that, hey, what I've been doing is really good work. And while you may have been doing really good work, the problem is that society has changed in the past nine months. And when you're looking at what you need to do in order to equalize and invite in BIPOC women, what we're seeing is that the old models truly do miss, miss the mark. Um, the positives really start happening when leaders declare amnesty for the past and move into pairing strategy decisions with human behavior. And I'm really excited to continue to, to divulge into that. Um, I'm being told that I need to wrap up. So I'm going to wrap up and let this uh, go back to Vivian. But I know that we have lots of really great content that all of us are going to talk about um, towards this element as well. Thank, Thank you, you, Andrea. So we're going to maybe um, weave in what you're talking about a little bit more with diversity and inclusion and think about specifically people of color. So Candice, I'm going to turn this question over to you. What do you think are some of the economic impacts on people of color during this pandemic? Thank you, Vivian, for that. And thank you, Andrea, for setting this up so well, this transition. So, uh, so I'll, I'll give a, a, a bit of a sense. I'll take back a little bit before we even talk about, you know, some of the major challenges. So first of all, to overcome setbacks and promote change for the better, we have to head back to the place where BIPOC people are already located. We are already at the intersection of socioeconomic exclusions and structural barriers to self-actualization. 
we are already at the place of a disjuncture between navigating our economic realities and the cost of living within our societies. And we have been at the place where the systems we engage with on a daily basis do not see people of color uh, as valuable enough to invest in. These are our realities pre-COVID. So how do we dismantle or how do we begin to dismantle these areas to get uh, to planning for a just and fair recovery? For me, in this context, and I've lived uh, as a person of color since uh, uh, for 36 years now, uh, this is my story. This is, you know, this is lived experience for me. So in this context, uh, I see that there are three major setbacks that existed pre-COVID-19, but are now uh, amplified by COVID-19. So the first is socioeconomic reality. Inequities in access to stable and healthy finances have been a perpetual reality for BIPOC people. And these structural inequities are of course based in the ideology of the types of work that merit a stable income. So one that, uh, one that allows the earner to be able to not just get by, but also to thrive. The second uh, challenge is that governments and financial institutions and general societal belief systems around the worthiness of BIPOC people where fi uh, finances are concerned. So the, um, that uh, statement in itself indicates to me that the responsibility that society places on individuals who are um, people of color is unrealistic generally because the opportunities that exist don't enable BIPOC uh, people to be able to compete at the same level. And this is, of course, uh, prior to COVID. General knowledge within the BIPOC community of existing support systems and channels that are available to access needed support. This is, of course, a challenge because within BIPOC communities, we're expected to be able to manage. We're expected to be able to compete on the same scale that everyone else is, even though the, our starting line is so far behind um, everyone else. So these three setbacks are translating to devastation for women's advancement. And uh, what ends up happening is that we're seeing increasing rates of evictions, pre-government interventions, uh, dependence on predatory lending for families to cope. And uh, we're seeing also increases in insolvencies. Um, so I'm just being noted that I have to wrap up as well. So um, what I'm hoping to achieve today is to talk about some of the uh, structural changes that are occurring, uh, specifically around institutional support. So what uh, governments have been doing, particularly the federal government, um, but what uh, more things that need to be done at the provincial level, particularly in Ontario, and also community-based supports that exist that people can have access to to help uh, overcome these setbacks. Over to you, Vivian. Thank you, Candice. So we're going to take that theme of economic impacts a little bit further and expand it out. And I know that during this time, there's been an increase in fraud and scammers and fake websites and a lot of things that are negative impact to our broader community. Elizabeth, you're an expert in this area. I'm going to ask you, what red flags should we be looking for and how can we protect ourselves? So thank you so much. Uh, because we've been at home self-isolating, because the new normal is very different, people are working from home, we have all become huge targets 
for fraud. And scammers are on high alert trying to entice us with a text, with a phone call, with an email. There's two really important things that I want to say right now. If you get an email, a text, or a phone call, stop, pause, think, delete, or hang up. And the other thing is, as children, we were always taught not to talk to strangers. So nowadays, as we get older, in 2020, let's not talk to strangers. If someone sends you an email or someone contacts you, you don't know who they are, they want to ask you for a favor, they want to share an inheritance with you, whatever, do not talk to strangers, delete and move on. Romance scams right now are huge. Of course, we're at home, we're self-isolating, we're vulnerable, we're lonely, and who doesn't want to be loved? We all want to have somebody to love. However, there are criminals out there that are posing as a doctor that is working internationally. They're posing as someone in the military. They are posing as someone working on an oil rig, but they're always posing somebody working afar, somebody working in another country, a third world country or whatever. So red flags, what do you have to look for? If this romance just, just moves on very, very quickly, slow down and take a look at it. Because once it moves quickly, they're gonna start asking you for money. They're gonna want you to wire money. They're gonna want Google cards, um, Amazon cards or whatever it is. Stop, pause, think. Because you have enough time to have a relationship evolve, just like a friendship. So nothing will go very, very quickly. Red, red, red flags. The other thing to look for is um, phone scams. How many of you have received a CRA scam? The RCMP is coming to arrest you. The RCMP is not going to arrest you. The thing is in Canada, we are full of immigrants and immigrants either know the rules or they don't know the rules. And so what happens is you get scared. Of course, you're going to be afraid if somebody says that they're coming to arrest you. So once again, hang up. And if you are unsure, go to the CRA website, call them and talk to them. Nothing is urgent. Anything that uh, if anybody tells you something is extremely urgent and you have to make a decision right away, that's a huge red flag. So don't do it. You know, we've all been consuming, not we, we've, everyone who's been self-isolating, I'm not going to say we, people have been at home drinking a little bit more or consuming cannabis. If you are going to purchase your cannabis, make sure that it is a proper retail outlet because there are so many websites out there that are scams. Uh, they're made up, too good to be true. The pricing is good it's going to be fraud. And the other thing too is a lot of major corporations are having their logos stolen and fraudsters are creating these crazy websites, especially let's say if it's somebody in the investment industry, they will promise you 15% daily return. They will promise you returns that are unheard of. But the bottom line is if it's too good to be true, it really is. Step back, protect yourself. As I said, stop, pause, think. Take a moment, go online and search for the proper website, contact somebody that you know, contact somebody that, talk to a friend. Um, there are too many people that are being scammed right now. And the bottom line is there is no shame in being, uh, being a victim of fraud. Come out and tell someone, talk, report the incident, talk to the police. 
talk to a friend. The um, Anti-Fraud Center has an incredible website, antifraudcenter.ca. Their phone number, 1-888-495-8501. Do not be silent. The other thing is fraudsters will come and try to defraud you a second and third time. So be aware, stop, pause, think, and don't talk to strangers. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. And during this pandemic, mental health, I think, has been everybody on everyone's mind. And I think it's impacted everyone in some way. Maybe now we'll ask um, Dr. Samantha Wells, who has done a lot of research at CAMH. And your research has shown elevated levels of anxiety, depression, and loneliness for women during this pandemic. Can you give us an update on where your research is sitting now? Sure. Thank you so much, Vivine. And thank you for all of the other panelists so far. It's exciting to hear you all with your uh, interesting perspectives. Um, yes, um, in terms of the research, so in collaboration with a leading global research technology company, Delvinia, uh, CAMH has been running since the spring uh, a national survey series uh, focused on better understanding Canadians' mental health and substance use during the pandemic. And back in May, women were more likely than men to experience anxiety, depressive symptoms, and loneliness. And through the summer, we saw uh, generally that men and women were gradually on par regarding these indicators of mental health. However, based on uh, preliminary analyses of new data that's just come in from our most recent survey, it looks again uh, like uh, over the, the last couple of weeks that women are dis disproportionately um, affected by the pandemic. But I can't give you all the results uh, at this moment, but please check out the CAMH uh, uh, website, uh, the mental health dashboard um, with the new data to be posted very soon. Thank you, uh, Samantha. And so um, when we're thinking about this as well, um, when we think about mental health, we need to think, I think, specifically about women's mental health. What is CAMH doing specifically to address women's mental health now? And are there, is there research under the way that we should know about that people could be aware of in the future? Yes, well, we know that even before the pandemic, women faced significant disparities in mental health. And we also know there are large gaps in knowledge uh, regarding women's mental health. And we, so we need to get a better understanding of the underlying mechanisms and risk factors for mental illness for women, as well as way to, ways to improve treatment outcomes for women. So CAMH has, uh, already has a number of initiatives underway looking at women's mental health, such as improving outcomes for new mo mothers with postpartum depression, uh, improving diagnosis and treatment for girls and, and women with autism, but to further advance efforts in understanding women's mental health, CAMH launched Women Mind, which is a, a new philanthropic community committed to closing the gender gap in women's mental health. And this was spurred by support from the Terliving family who are founding members of Women Mind. So in its first years, Women Mind will support new innovative research focusing on women's mental health through seed grant competitions, fellowships to research trainees, uh, junior scientist positions, as well as hosting an annual global research symposium on women's mental health. 
And a second goal of Women Mind is to address the, the gender gap in the sciences. And as many, many of you know, women are underrepresented in most scientific disciplines. And while 40% of scientists at CAMH are women, more can be done to close the gender gap in the sciences. And of course, we all know the pandemic has had a ne negative impact on women and women in research in particular. Um, so we know, for example, through a number of studies that recently came out, came out that women researchers are publishing less since the, since the pandemic hit. So um, basically, Women Mind will be launching a number of initiatives to advance women in the sciences at CAMH, including recruiting new scientists, uh, new women scientists, uh, providing early career startup support for women and offering mentoring for women in science. So I'm very passionate about this initiative, both for uh, personal and professional reasons. Um, I've seen personally how mental illness can impact women's lives and, and, and the lives of those around them. My own mother uh, suffered from mental illness and addiction, and she never received the help she needed and eventually she succumbed to her disease. So from a personal perspective, I know uh, that more needs to be done to address women's mental health. But I'm also a woman studying, uh, I, I have a background in mathematics, epidemiology, and I was very fortunate to receive support and mentorship throughout my career. But I see that women in the sciences more, need more support to get where they need to go. So overall, through the work of Women Mind, I'm excited to see CAMH tackling two major issues for women, the gender gap in mental health and the gender gap in the sciences. So these are two issues that require attention at all times, but especially during and after the pandemic. Thank you, Dr. Wells. Um, so we have a couple of questions starting up in the queue, and I'm gonna perhaps um, direct this question to Andrea. In regards to establishing a corporate social responsibility strategy, what is working so that stakeholders buy into the changes and changes are experienced as genuine steps towards change? Uh, hi, yes, that's another really great question. Um, I think the, the big element is that it doesn't matter what industry you're in. So whether it's mining or finance, law, pharma, tech, we know that social justice and inclusion are top of mind. And so we're looking at how to advance in the face of more uncertainty. And when we're establishing models that are employee centered, we're able to actualize elements that are otherwise, you know, they're, they're left to the wayside and they're unaddressed. And so what offers real support for stakeholders um, is looking at the element of um, psychological safety, belonging, and trust. And when we open these elements, we actually reduce the complexities that typically prevent us from having really great conversations and real conversations. I think the thing that I see the most within the organizations that I'm involved with is the questioning of okay, so we're doing this now, but is it actually going to take effect? Is these, are these questionnaires going to show up within social responsible elements? And truly what I find is that when psychological safety and belonging are um, present, things like mental health, uh, being able to address how our time differences are different between the, the male and the female um, 
contributions as well as what uh, BIPOC um, people are experiencing for how they are contributing to the workplace. So from a neuroscience perspective, really the best way to increase your engagement while we're still in this pandemic and attend to the women's advancement element is to shift gears into look at the perceptions of justice. And that means we need to start looking at how to help stakeholders reduce automatic emotional reactions, such as anger, shame, guilt, and judgment. And um, those are showing up because of the isolation. Those are showing up because of many of the complexities. But the path to rebuilding and, and heading back into what Christiane started with and, you know, I think what so many have talked about as well, Sam and, and uh, Candice as well, you know, when we're looking at positive and embracing change, the path to rebuilding for the pandemic and women's advancement and corporate social responsibility truly is Re re um, reversing back into the human element of our frontline workers and being able to support them where they are at. Um, that's where we're seeing such huge progress and just wonderful positivity of being able to support workers that are otherwise struggling with mental health or struggling with um, the ability to even show up to work. And I think when we come together and when we action elements of belonging, it changes how we perceive what's being said because words carry weight and they shift how we think and how we respond to what's in front of us. Thank you very much, Andrea. You had mentioned um, people of color again there, and there's a question coming in, which I'm going to turn over to Candice. And maybe, Candice, you can weave these questions in together in terms of what types of supports currently exist that people of color can access. And are there any specific um, block systemic blockages that you think need to be dismantled in order to assist people? And following that, what kind of supports um, need to be specifically targeted for people of color? Uh, thanks, Naveen, for that. So maybe I'll start with, uh, with the supports first uh, that currently exist or are uh, emerging as supports. So, I'll start with uh, my own uh, backyard, which is uh, within Toronto. Um, and here in Toronto, uh, a lot of the supports that we see being available to, to people come from community organizations, uh, as well as uh, municipally. So I'll speak specifically about the EPIC program. Uh, and the EPIC program is uh, eviction prevention inter intervention. And uh, that's available to anyone who is, uh, you know, who has had difficulties paying their, their rent, uh, have, have had significant um, challenges with, with rental arrears and are, you know, about to be ev um, evicted from their housing. The City of Toronto program will, uh, will be there to support you. There's also the rent bank that you can access. Uh, to, to get some uh, financial support in order to pay your landlord. And, uh, and currently also the province has, uh, has instituted a stay on a moratorium on evictions that was briefly lifted. And uh, now there's lobbying to, to reinstate that. So we're, we're watching that uh, very keenly. Um, the other thing that, uh, that I want to speak about is alternatives to payday loans. 
so one of the one of the challenges that uh, that research is indicating that we knew before is that payday lenders are like our loan sharks. They go after the most vulnerable in communities, uh, and that often typically are people of color, BIPOC. And so, um, you know, they're charging exorbitant fees, such as up to 780% uh, of on return on a loan. Uh, so in, in, in the time of COVID, we know that CERB just recently ended, and now people are waiting for that transition. What are the alternatives? Um, well, first and foremost, people should consider uh, the stigma that surrounds uh, people who depend on credit, right? It's a reality that exists within BIPOC communities because the alternative uh, for accessing financing through um, financial institutions is very, very low. So that's something that we need to look at. And ACORN Canada is uh, lobbying for, first and foremost, more regulations, uh, provincial regulations on payday lenders, as well as access uh, financial institutions stepping up to the plate and looking at the value of supporting um, BIPOC communities by offering affordable lending solutions. And then also we, we want to um, let people know that there's opportunities uh, and, and maybe, you know, greater options for looking at alternative credit, um, credit solutions, including credit counseling, um, insolvencies, and bankruptcies. And these are realities, you know, we have to remove the stigma around these things because the reality of where people is, the option is to, to survive or to, to, you know, not survive in, in, in this reality. Thank you, Candice. Um, I think maybe we'll go um, back uh, to a question in the queue that is asking about um, the economics and finances again. And maybe I'll turn this one um, back over to Elizabeth. Um, but my understanding is that Canadians have been saving at the highest rates ever, really in more than 60 years, Canadians seem to be versus other countries, being a country of savers. Um, but what would you tell Canadians about the future, though, in terms of perhaps um, preparing for things that might be unexpected that come up, um, maybe living a life of needs um, versus wants and, and how people can prioritize that um, and, and how they overall can um, manage their finances, especially in a time of economic stress where their jobs might not be as stable. So you are correct. We have started to save at the best level in 60 years now in Canada. However, we are very, very divided in Canada. You have people that have a lot of money and people that are really, really struggling a lot. So the key is, in order for you to protect yourself for another pandemic, another shutdown or another happening, we all need to have emergency funds. We need to have that money that's stashed away for an emergency, um, where CERB ends, you've lost your job, you, you're struggling on a, on a huge basis right now. I think what people really need to look at is how much money are they making, but how much money are they spending? Because prior to this pandemic, people were spending like crazy and the debt level was really, really high. And so I've been saying, you know, let's make frugality fashionable. Let's look at a life of what we need versus what we want. Problem is people get caught up in um, purchasing something to make themselves feel better. So impulse shopping, I want to go and buy this 
because I'm feeling down, I'm feeling depressed, but that's a short-term high for a long-term debt. So think about um, how long you have to work in order to purchase something. If the thing is going to cost you $20 and you make $20 an hour, well, then you know that you have to work one hour. But what about if it costs $100 or $1,000 and are you going to pay it outright or do you have to pay, put it on credit? Because we all know that you should pay your credit card off every single solitary month because the uh, interest is compounded and it'll take you years upon years to pay it off if you only pay the minimum. I was looking at one of my credit card statements uh, last year, I was paying off my wedding and I looked at it and they said it was a $10, $10 minimum per month. It was about $11,000, but it would take me 109 years to pay off. So think about minimum payment. Think about saving money. I'm not saying stop doing something completely. Like if you like wine, buy your wine, but maybe buy a cheaper wine or don't drink as much and whatever money you're saving on it, put it aside. Last November, I started the $5 a day savings program. So people are spending $5 a day on whatever their favorite drink is or whatever their favorite sandwich is or whatever. Take that money, put it in a drawer. Uh, whenever you tell somebody to save $100 a month, psychologically, they think $100 is way too much. I need that money. But if you start putting away $5 a day, by the end of the month, it's $150. And it accumulates throughout the year. So think about savings for yourself, for the next pandemic, for the next shutdown, for your future. Thank you, Elizabeth. So we have a question coming in from the queue, which I'm going to turn over to Dr. Wells. Um, this person is asking about the sandwich generation, people that um, are um, overwhelmed sometimes by caring for elderly parents and children. Um, what supports are needed to help women, specifically mothers who are now part of the sandwich generation group as they balance caring for children and struggle with taking care of the home and their own professional lives without compromising their career goals. Over to you, Samantha. Thank you. What a, an excellent question. And I certainly know um, many people, uh, many women in that very position where they're, um, I don't, I, you know, and, and women are always the ones who multitask. They take on so many different roles they're running around looking after children, they're cleaning the house, they're looking after elderly parents, they are doing everything. Um, and I have to say, you know, I'm guilty of doing some of that myself. Um, and and, it, and it, it's, I shouldn't say guilty because it's the wrong word to use because I think it's a fa fabulous quality that women have. But women do have to um, look after themselves. You can't help others without also making sure you're looking after yourself first. So my only advice with the very short amount of time that we have left in this discussion is, is my only piece of advice here is for women to make sure that your own mental health is being looked after. Take time for yourself, take time to rest, because if you collapse, then everyone else who depends on you um, um, will also, um, you know, have, have their own challenges. And, and um, it is possible to find supports 
it is possible to find other women who you can talk to and reflect on how to manage all of these pieces. Um, but do, do what's right for yourself. Um, and of course, always know that if you're in, in a, a time of great need or, or crisis, there are supports out there in the community. Um, um, so do seek them out if you need them. Thank you, Dr. Wells. Um, there's another question which I'm going to uh, direct over to Andrea. And uh, this person is asking, are there specific tools that the corporate world can be doing to help women, um, during, especially during the pandemic, have a, a, a more level playing field compared to men? I don't know. Um, over to you, uh, Andrea. Thank you. Another great question. Um, I think that there are. So again, I always come back to the element of belonging. And, um, you know, as a mixture of what, uh, you know, Dr. Samantha Wells has said, and, and all of our panelists, really, um, there, what I always say to start with is, is do a survey, survey your people um, first, and look at the numbers so that you understand um, how many women you're looking at in each sector of whether that's frontline or whether that's executive level, because at each of those levels, you're going to see that women have different demands and different needs. And if you don't know where they are on the chart of feeling like they belong, which in all honesty, belonging for women in the workforce is still very, very weakly received. Um, and for all of these topics that we've just been sharing. So you need to be looking at polling your, um, your people about, um, there's five specific elements. So comfort. I feel comfortable at work. I'm treated fairly and respected by my colleagues. Um, you know, I'm encouraged to share my unique perspective. I'm encouraged to share um, the struggles that I'm experiencing. So, you know, from, from comfort to contribution, to connection, to psychological trust, to belonging, um, or sorry, to well-being, those are all elements that need to be sought out. And what we'll find is that when you first start, your baseline is going to be low. Don't hide that. Celebrate the, the fact that you now have a baseline and then look for the ways that you're going to support people moving forward. That is the best way to start repairing that psychological trust and your ability to uh, connect with where people are and what they're struggling with. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Andrea. So I think we have time for a quick response to um, maybe two more questions. Um, this person is asking you, Elizabeth, if there are one or specific books that um, are directed at young women in terms of how they can manage their finances. And are there anything specific um, that young women should think about in terms of how they handle their finances early on? Well, We've, we, uh, as young women, we've always been told to go to a good school, get really, really good grades, and find a great job. But then we don't know what to do with the money that we've made when we land that great job. Um, what you could do is go to Finances Personal and watch the TV shows that I have uh, put together geared towards young women and women of all ages. Uh, Kelly Keene, a good friend of mine, has come up with a good book. I can't remember it right now. Talk Money to Me. It's 
called Talk Money to Me. Um, but I think the thing is, we all have to think about um, curbing our spending and saving for our future. We all know that as women, we, like, we make less money than men do. We make 87 cents to the dollar that a man makes. Uh, our work life has always been disruptive, as Samantha was saying. Um, we are the natural caregivers, so we're in and out of our careers, whether we're taking care of children or our parents or something else. So um, we really do need to be mindful of how much money we spend and how much money we save. So I think that's the key. Just make sure that you don't go impulse uh, shopping and don't just spend your money because you feel like spending it. Hang on to every penny that you make. Thank you, Elizabeth. I think we have one time for one uh, other quick question. And this person is asking um, about um, supports for women of color, um, or not just women of color, but marginalized populations in general have been on the front lines during this pandemic. Are there anything specifically, Candies, you might have mentioned before as well, in terms of support for um, people of color that are in frontline working positions? Oh, that's a great question, Vivian. Thank you. Uh, so I'll, I'll talk specifically about, first and foremost, um, that the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives has put out an alternate uh, federal budget. And uh, as uh, we know that the, the federal, um, federal government is currently debating um, uh, further support to, to get Canadians out of uh, this, this crunch that we're all, the squeeze that we're all feeling, uh, in, in the focus of the alternative budget coming from the um, CCPA is that uh, the folk, we focus on economic and social equity, right, for, for, Bi for BIPOC people. Uh, for me specifically, uh, one of the things that I do at DILOT is that we focus on young people, right? And, and we know that young people across Canada so far has, um, has ha felt the brunt of the pandemic in terms of exposure to the, the virus itself, um, as well as being frontline workers themselves, having to be designated as essential workers, but not receiving essential pay. So that's one area. I think uh, to, to support you, um, people, BIPOC people, uh, we need to focus on precarious work and the compensation for precarious work. So again, that debate around what is a minimum wage versus what is a, what is a living wage is going to be key. And as well, we want to also focus on education, uh, training and mentorship to support uh, people who are gonna be transitioning from that precarious work into more secure work. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Candice. So we're at the top of the hour, and this has been a really informative discussion once again. I almost think we also perhaps need um, a third um, panel. We've just had so many questions come in directed at what Corporate Canada can do, at finances um, during this crisis, at specific mental health supports for people of color, at the future of mental health. Again, um, there's, just, there's just such a pent up need um, for this discussion, but that's all the time we have for today. So I'm going to turn it back to Antoinette Tumulin from the Empire Club. Thanks, Vivian. Um, I would now like to introduce Grace Padota from the Canadian Securities Exchange to provide the appreciation remarks. Thank you, Antoinette. It has truly been a privilege uh, to be here today virtually. On behalf of the Empire Club of Canada, our audience, and of course, CSC TV on YouTube, 
the Canadian Securities Exchange Forum for conversations with business leaders and entrepreneurs. I want to express a sincere thank you to our panelists, our wonderful moderator, and our super panel guest. Your comments today were so relevant at a time when we can collectively start considering how we can emerge from this crisis and what the best way forward will be for all Canadians. To me, the dialogue truly brought to life what we have learned since the inaugural milestone event that happened this past summer, which brought together the same five remarkable leaders who spoke candidly about issues impacting women in the workplace, at home and across all aspects of society to how we are going to emerge from this crisis and what the best way forward will be for all Canadians. More importantly, I am motivated by your insights and steps that we can collectively take to rebuild and overcome the setbacks women have faced due to the pandemic and how we can become stronger together as a society, including changes that are needed for a better tomorrow from both a social and economic perspective and what men and women can do to promote change for the better. Thank you again for this powerful conversation and thank you to the audience for your active engagement. Because of the numerous questions that were of such fundamental importance this past summer, it was immediately obvious a second session would be of great importance. And it was. It has been such a pleasure to spend time with you all virtually today. And if you like today's content, there's more great content on CSC TV, which is the Canadian Securities Exchange YouTube channel including my Grace's Picks playlist that features recent conversations with female business leaders. Now back to you, Antoinette. Thank you, Grace. All well put. Thank you, ladies. Another great session, another great discussion. We're all gonna be watching what you do because you are making a difference. So keep doing it. We're all behind you. We're all gonna do our thing to help as Grace says. So thanks again. And uh, yeah, maybe a third session. I don't know, guys. <laughs> it seems like there's a lot of interest in what you have to say. So um, just want to tell you about our upcoming session. We've got a session tomorrow, another interesting topic on Canadian Canada's tourism industry, impact and recovery outlook for 2020 and beyond. It's at 12 noon. We're also working on a lot of really interesting um, uh, events coming up. So make sure you check our website. We'll be announcing them soon and uh, look forward to virtually meeting you all again. Thank you for joining us today. Um, the audience, I really appreciate you calling in. We have a lot of people who did uh, phone in today or Zoom in our new reality. So uh, look forward to Zoom meeting you all again very soon. So this meeting is now adjourned. Thank you.